A very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is the Sunday Synthesis COVID podcast with me, Howard Feldman, and of course, uh, COVID expert, Dr. Anton Marburg. Every week, around about this time, we get together and uh, we go through the latest development. Where are we in uh, terms of South Africa, in, in terms of the global fight against the pandemic? And then we look at your questions. Uh, we ask you, ahead uh, of this podcast, for your questions, for your COVID-related questions, so that we can address them as much as we are able to. What is fascinating is to see the different trends week on week. And uh, this week, what we're seeing is a lot of people very concerned around uh, behavior, what they're seeing at schools, what they're seeing on the roads, people asking questions anonymously, um, quite uh, quite uh, um, frequently this week. We are going to go through some of them. Of course, we won't get through everything that uh, you have asked, but we certainly We'll do our best. Dr. Anton Marbo, good morning. As always, how are we doing? Well, good morning. So currently we're sitting on 27,075,913 cases worldwide with 883,846 deaths and 19.1 million cases resolved. The United States has 6.4 million cases with 192,000 deaths. And South Africa has 636,884 cases with 14,779 deaths. The total number of cases in the last 24 hours was 1,806, and the total number of recoveries of 561,204. Currently on the world odometer, we are sitting in seventh position, which is just below Colombia and slightly above Mexico. And in our hospitals in Gauteng, there are 2,625 plus minus patients in hospital with COVID-19, of which 364 in ICU and 157 are ventilated. Of interest, after almost three months, about 87 days, the daily percentage test positivity ratio, that is the new cases as a percentage of new tests, has finally gone below 10%. So we are doing very well at the moment. Um, but that's all dependent on you, me, and everybody else. We've been on level two lockdown for around about two weeks now. Have you seen an uptick at all in cases? So actually not. I mean, there's been a slight uptick in cases, but nothing dramatic. We're still sitting on about, in mass, what, about 20 cases in hospital, of which 10 are in ICU that are very sick, and other 10 are in the wards that are reasonably okay. Um, we do know, there's no doubt in our minds there's going to be a second surge, just how bad the second surge is, that depends on you, me and everybody else and everybody's need to wear masks and everybody social distancing and avoiding crowds. Is there a reason that you use the word surge versus wave? Because we see in the press they're using the word second wave a lot. You, you constantly yeah, use the word surge. I, I use the word surge because when we're in, the, in, in July, in that battlefield of July, when we're in the hospitals, the surge in the amount of patients that hit us was like a surge of electricity. We were bolted and we were shocked into a reality that we didn't know. So to me, a surge is a far stronger word than the word wave. Right. Okay. Um, the, 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 uh, there was an article on BBC earlier this week that spoke about the numbers of deaths in Africa and specifically focus on South Africa, that we have a lower mortality rate. Uh, the article was controversial when it, when it reached South Africa because people felt that it was almost, uh, that the BBC was almost disappointed. But the, the, the politics of that aside, what do you think some of the factors are that have contributed to a lower death rate in South Africa? 
So there's many answers to that. And some of the, the easy answers, as far as I'm concerned, is one was effective and early lockdown. And you're still going to have your critics. You're going to have people who say the lockdown was ineffective, it was unnecessary. The lockdown helped us dramatically. There's no doubt about it. We see that in our hospitals. We see that all over. We see that by the low mortality rate, 14,000 people out of 50 million people. That's an extremely low mortality rate. Other people have postulated that due to the high density population in areas like Alexandria and all areas like that, where people are populated densely together, they are exposed to viruses all the time. And they've got antibodies to different types of viruses. They could have antibodies to different types of coronaviruses, and this could be cross-reacting to the actual COVID-19. And therefore, they're not getting affected as badly, and the mortality rate isn't as bad. The other reason is also, we've had a long time to set up protocols and different types of treatments, getting involved and getting treated and using them on people that other countries didn't have the opportunity to do when this virus started. And I suppose a little bit more knowledge because uh, we, we, we received this, uh, the pandemic hit our shores just a little bit later. Interesting, I'm gonna remind you um, that around about six months ago when we were speaking about this, you did mention that that one of the strange things that, that you have noticed in your years of practice is that the flu season doesn't necessarily hit the high density areas as much as we would expect it to do. Uh, so this kind of actually falls in line with something that you said around about five or six months ago. Yeah, I must say that there's one thing that we've learned in this pandemic. There's no such thing as a COVID-19 expert. There's no one who knows everything. We're learning new things every single day. Every day we're being humbled. Every day we're learning different and exciting things. And yeah, it's, it, there's no, it's not following any rules. So every day we learn exactly which course it's taking and we try and diverge on that course and we try and make sure we don't go off on a tangent and stay on that course. Yeah, so maybe I've got to remove the word expert then from our description of this podcast. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> Put that novice. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, or, or practicing, you know, because certainly yeah. nobody's an expert. Um, all right, let, let, let's take a look at some of, uh, some of the questions. Um, Anonymous says, uh, I'm a medical doctor with multiple risk factors, although I'm not bald. I'm not bald. Okay, so at least he's got that going for him. I'm extremely careful to, at, at work, sanitizing surfaces, etc. full PPE. Uh, I'm very careful with my patients. Um, I shower immediately on coming home. Despite all these continuous effort, I find that uh, now with minimal restrictions in place in lockdown level two, and the fact that most people around seem to be less vigilant currently, I feel even more at risk and more concerned about exposure to, to myself. As example, one of my teenage sons still doing online schooling now has to go to school on days they write tests and, and there is some pressure around that. Our maid goes to church on Sunday with a driver who she knows, um, but uh, you, it's clear to me that I cannot keep everyone around me locked down to protect myself. I feel that I'm no longer um, in the safe bubble that I was at level three. What if any, what if, if any extra precautions do I need to institute at home, especially um, to myself in view of my perceived increased risk factors? Well, uh, the, the reason why I'm smiling is because this is like diabetes. You know, they always teach us in medical school, if you know diabetes and you know every single organ system in the whole body. So this question kind of encompasses every single question for the, for the podcast. But, but, but in reality, as a medical professional, 
when you're working in a hospital, you are wearing PPE, you are protected. We've been doing this now for six months. We are efficient. We're not arrogant about it. We know what we're doing. We're putting on the stuff very well and it's being monitored. We've got people to show us how to do it and are dressing us every single day in PPE. We are taking care. We are wearing our N95 masks. Our risk is not great if you are doing this properly. Therefore, you coming home and having showered and done all the relevant things, this is not a greater risk. In fact, it's lesser risk because you're less exposed because you're covered from all things. So I don't think there's an issue for your family or for your child going back to school. And with regards to, to your, your domestic worker traveling in a taxi, that's the reality now. This is level two. We've got to tackle, take these things and tackle them headwards. So are we allowing our domestic workers to go out and come back? And if the answer is yes, then there's no difference between you going to work or your domestic worker going from work. And you've just got to make sure they follow the rules, wear their masks, wash their hands. If you really are worried, then don't stay in the same room with them. Mm. Yeah, because uh, um, Estelle says your thoughts, please, on allowing my child to, to travel from Yeovil to Linksfield in a minibus taxi. My husband and I were in our early 70s, and uh, she has not been back since the beginning of lockdown. So you're saying now that it's allowed, just go with that. Make sure that you're very, very cautious. Caution is the answer here. Okay, you've got to do things very, very cautiously. So yes, you allow them back, but make sure when they come to you, maybe they can change their clothes and they put their, a new mask on when they're at you. And you're not in the same room as your domestic worker. Keep the windows open. Keep the doors open. You know, if you're over 70 and you're elderly or you're infirmed or you've got chronic conditions, you're going to need the help. You can't do it. After a while, it's just too much. So now's the time. The window is now. So use it while you can. Because if we get a second surge, and we are going to get a second surge, but it depends how bad the second surge or second wave will be, um, you know, you might not have that opportunity. So now's the time to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Ansan says as well, um, if your domestic worker goes home for a week, um, do they still need to quarantine when they come back? The answer is no, really. Well, you know, that's, that's a personal decision you've got to make. You've got to, are you able to trust your domestic worker? You know, do you believe they will tell you the truth? If, you've able, if, you, can, if you are educated and you've educated them into the rules and what the rules should be and how they should be doing it, there shouldn't be a problem. But that's your own personal decision that you've got to make. You know, you, how stringent you will be, is dependent on what you want forward. Right. The one area that we haven't really tackled, and, and I'm starting to see a few questions around it, is the risks around pregnancy. Unsigned as well says, uh, uh, I'm in my third, third trimester, must I be more careful? Am I at risk? Um, in, you know, how do I handle it? Well, we'll get back to, to, to the Jewish festivals coming up. Uh, she wants to know how to handle that. Can, can, can it be passed through food? Let, let, let's just talk about pregnancy in of itself. So, so the highest risk for pregnancy is early term labor. Okay? And that's more so in the, in obviously in the third trimester when you're worried about that. So yes, you still have to be very careful. You know, there, there are not many reports of the virus being transferred from the, the mother to the fetus. Um, very, very rare that I've read reports of the actual fetus or the child being born with COVID-19. Um, if the mother is positive, but you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to consider yourself as someone having a comorbidity, as someone, you've got another life inside, you've got to protect that life. So you've got to, you've got to pull out all the stops here and protect yourself. It's very important. So would you say that just following that, if somebody is pregnant, they probably shouldn't be going to synagogue, churches, etc.? 
I think so, because we do know that the, the highest risk of spreading this virus has come at communal or religious gatherings. And even we're seeing that in South Korea, we're seeing that all over the world. It's from one person who spread it who's been to some gathering that's spreading it all over. So I'd rather stay away from that type of thing. You know, 50 people is a lot of people to be exposed to if you've got, in inverted commas, a comorbidity. Right. Um, uh, uh, Mark wants to know, uh, do you think that somebody over the age of 70 uh, could go back to one of the larger gyms? Well, let's stop there. Uh, should anybody be going back to the larger gyms? So th the way that it's been said is that if, you, if you're healthy and you're well, you can go back to the gyms. But the, the ludicrous point is that if you're doing weights, you have to wear a mask, but if you're running on the treadmill, you don't have to wear a mask. So you, you, you're doing high intensity aerobics, you must wear a mask, but if you're doing weights, you don't have to wear a mask. There's no rationale, there's no thought process behind this. Everyone in the gym should be wearing a mask. There's no doubt about it. So if you're worried about something and you've got a comorbidity, you shouldn't be going back to gym. I don't believe it's the right time now. I think everybody in the gym should be wearing a mask regardless. We've got to protect each other. We've got to protect ourselves. And you can't protect some people, but not other people in the gym. If some are wearing a mask and others aren't, you're not going to be protecting them. So it's not a great idea. So you're saying it's never mind the age of 70, really, uh, you should yeah, think... I think 70 is not a comorbidity. Age is not a comorbidity if you're well. If you've, got no, if you've got no comorbidities and you're 70, there's no reason for you to say you can't do certain things. It's once you've got comorbidities attached to the age, that's when it becomes a problem. Right. Um, okay. And then uh, the, a lot of people asking about uh, antibody testing. What is your thoughts around that? So you've got to ask yourself, why do you want to do antibody testing? What is the benefit of, of getting an antibody test? Remember, it's an antibody test. So it's going to tell you, have you had the virus? Yes, that's the benefit. So you know you've had the virus. Then what? Does it give you a passport for immunity? Can you go out and, and sort of not wear a mask and socially interact? And the answer is no. You've got to be more careful. Because once again, as I said, we're still learning new things about this virus every single day. We don't know, even though you might have antibodies, if you can transfer the virus to other people. And also, we've seen that people who have had the virus still can get sick again. The antibodies can wane. We don't know how long the antibodies last. When you do the antibody test, it doesn't tell you if it's going to last for two weeks or three weeks. You've got to find out the title. That's the amount of antibody. You've got to see how high it is. You know, the benefits of doing the antibody test might be if you want to donate convalescent plasma or for a seroprevalencing to understand what the surveillance is in old age homes and that type of thing. At this point now, the amount of people who've had the virus is not high enough to say, well, we've got antibodies. We can go outside because there's no herd immunity. We have not got that immunity at the moment, and you going outside is not going to protect other people. So you've still got to be very careful. So yes, you can get involved in the hype of doing the antibodies, but I don't see a real purpose of it. Some people who've actually had the virus and think they have got antibodies, then go and test and find that they're negative, which is very interesting. So, I mean, you've still got to be careful. Just be careful. Right. Um, and science says, I've, uh, I've, uh, I only have one lung. I've been in total isolation since March. In your opinion, uh, should I still be waiting before venturing out? So the question is, how old are you? Have you got any other comorbidities? Are you on any immune suppressants or rejection medicine for your lung, etc.? That, that all plays a big part. If you are generally well and healthy, even with one lung, 
and you've had no issues, then speak to your specialists and discuss it with them. Speak to your pulmonologist. They'll have a better idea of your medical history and might say to you, it's okay to go out, but you've got to put all the data together. It can't just be made on one medical point. You've got to look at everything as a whole and not as a singularity. Yeah, and are you bald, for example, as well? Are you bald? Yeah, I've never met anybody with one lung who's bald. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, that's good news for someone like me. Um, all right. Uh, Carla wants to know new drugs, um, ivermectin, uh, doxycycline, and zinc. Are they new drugs? Apparently, no, she's not 100% of the landing site of the virus. Yeah, and unfortunately not. Okay, so ivermectin is not a new drug. Zinc's not a new drug. I'm sure you've mentioned all of these. Ivermectin, is, as we discussed before, is an antiparasitic drug that prevents river uh, fever and blindness, those type of things. It's used in animals for, for a lot of parasitic infections. Um, it has been shown to be used in uh, people, I said in Peru before, but it's not uh, peer studied and it's not peer reviewed. And we're not using ivermectin at this point in time. We are using zinc. Um, and we're not using doxycycline for any of this because we don't believe they help. The newer drugs on the horizon are things like the antifibrinolytic agent, a protonin and uh, angiotensin II blocker, which is not new, but herbisartan. They're looking at these to see if they've got the potential to block or reduce effects of the cytokine storm. So we're not withholding ivermectin or, or, or doxycycline. We just don't feel that there's any role for them to play in the cytokine storm or in prevention of this at this point. Next week, we might change our minds. As, uh, as, as we continually seem to do. Um, uh, Unsigned wants to know, can we start thinking about booking our December holidays? So I, I think the answer is yes. I think you can start thinking about it, but time will tell. You know, the next few weeks will give us an answer where we're going and what we're doing. As I said, we are expecting to have the second surge, second wave, if you want to call it. It just depends how bad it's going to be, depending on how everybody acts. So yes, book, book your holiday. Um, are you going to fly down? Are you going to drive down? That we can discuss at a later stage when we see where we're at. All the countries all over the world, Israel, France, um, all other countries, Spain, you know, even New Zealand, they've all had second waves in countries that have thought they'd eradicated. So New Zealand so we can't people, that's hardly a wave. Well, listen, they're not out of the woods yet. They're definitely not out of the woods. You know, they thought they'd completely eradicated like we eradicated polio. And there's no such thing. We've got to be very careful. So let's give it time to see what happens in the next month or so. And I'm sure by, by the end of October, we'll have an answer for that. All right. Uh, the, let's just talk about the, the festivals, the Jewish festivals coming up. Um, but in fact, these questions apply to churches, mosques, um, and, uh, and everybody. It's just that, uh, that in the next two weeks, there's going to be a, a bunch of Jewish holidays. So let's just start off with, with prayer services. Who should be going? Who shouldn't be going um, as, as, as a basic rule? Obviously, uh, the, the, the law is very, very clear. Services can only be uh, hold up to 50 people, should be outside if possible, and can be for no longer than two hours. Uh, that, that's where some of the controversy now is, is starting to creep in. But let's just start off with the basics. Who should go and who shouldn't go? Can bald people go to shore? Put a hat on. Okay, so, so the, the truth is, if you're bald, you can go to shul, but it might be a bit weird. You might have to put a, a yarmi on because, uh, you know, you, you do require that in the house of worship. Right. Um, people who've got comorbidities, 
COPD, emphysema, diabetes, uncontrolled hypertension, who are over the age of 60 should not be going to the synagogue. There's no doubt about that. Younger people who are well, go for it with pleasure, but don't, don't congregate after the services. That's the important thing. You know, bring your own prayer, prayer attachments, bring your own prayer books, bring your own prayer apparel, but do not congregate because that's where the biggest problem is going to be is when people leave after two hours, people are going to start congregating together, talking together, and that's where the spread can be. So with regards to synagogue services, they've got excellent guidelines that have been set out. If we can follow these guidelines, we'll be okay, but we have to follow them. What's your thought on, uh, and I know luckily for you, you're not, uh, you're not on this committee, but uh, what's your thought around um, services have to be limited to two hours? Do you think that it's, that it's problematic? I know that some of the experts feel this, that, that it's problematic to have a break and then bring the same people back in. What, what, what is your, if, if, if you were designing this, what would you, how, how would you handle that? I think the two hours is perfect. I think you can do the service in two hours without a doubt if you take out sort of the, the sermons and you take out a repetition a lot of the of, of the prayers you can do this in two hours there's not going to be singing in the services there's only going to be one person who's leading the service it's definitely something that can be done there's no reason then to bring the same people back for another service thereafter you should leave the leave the synagogue or leave the place of worship look ideally it should be outside if it's outside then you're already you're already sort of negating any of the problems that you could have once it's inside in a closed environment, it's much harder. You know, we always say that you don't have to clean a place, but you can leave it for 24 hours and that shouldn't be a problem. So to bring people back into the same area within two hours is problematic. All right. So, you, so your, your feeling is trying to, and, and, and I would like to just share my thoughts on this, is that, that for many of us, uh, you know, it, it was very difficult around Passover time um, and, and uh, Shavuot time where we couldn't, be in shul, and we couldn't go. We now have the ability to go, even if it is imperfect. Let's be grateful for that. Let's just embrace what we can do, do what we can do with joy, with, with gratitude, and, and hopefully that the next time the festivals come around, we'll be able to be normal again. But, uh, but what I find quite disturbing is almost a negative attitude towards the implementation of these rules. Let's be grateful that we can actually have services, surely. Agreed. I mean, for the last six months, we haven't been in the synagogues. We haven't been anywhere. So this is, you know, if you're given a hand, don't take a foot. Just take what you can get for now. I have work not. With it, work with the rules, okay? And, and, and we'll be surprised because if we work with it, we can prevent dramatic sort of problems developing down the line. And as I say, like, I have not been able to complain about one sermon in the last six months. Okay, so now there aren't going to be sermons either. I won't be able to complain over, over the next Jewish festivals. But you know what? I'll be back to my normal complaining self, you know, the, the next time round. We live in hope. We live in hope. Exactly. Um, vaccine trials. Okay, so we are now nine months into this pandemic. There are 33 vaccines against SARS-CoV-2 uh, being tested in people. Um, we're going to need billions of doses of vaccines. Operation Warp Speed, which has been spearheaded by the United States government, hopes to have about 300 million doses delivered by the end of January 2021. But the worries are, we're not just getting a vaccine. It's using the vaccine. You know, vaccines don't prevent anything, but vaccination does. 
And that's it. So you can have the vaccine, but unless you vaccinate the people, you're not going to win this. Then you've got your other problem, and this is the biggest problem, is your skeptics and your anti-vaxxers. We don't have time and we don't have room for anti-vaxxers or skeptics. And the biggest problem with skeptics is people are going to say, well, let's just wait four or five months once the vaccine has come out and see if there are any side effects to other people. And then we can try it five or six months down the line. We don't have time for this. We're not going to be able to get community protection. And community protection only occurs when people become immune. Either they've recovered from the virus completely or from the infection completely, or they have been vaccinated. The high levels of immunity in a population cut the chances of other people getting the virus if they're exposed to somebody else who does get the virus. So there's multiple vaccines out there. We're waiting for them to come out. They need to spearhead them, but it's gonna be a gargantuan effort to get billions of vaccines out there in order to get community and, and herd immunity. Right. And, uh, and no doubt, people like you that have been involved in it will be following this very carefully. And people are going to have to watch this podcast to know which is the vaccine of right. your, uh, that, that, uh, that you prefer. Uh, because, because I know that every year there are a number of flu vaccines and you always say to me, this is the one that you want me to get. So right. I, I think that's going to become important. look very carefully, as you say, with the flu vaccine, you've got to look very carefully at what's in the flu vaccine and, and which sort of population is targeting. And it's going to be the same one. We're now being exposed to two in South Africa, the Chadox and the Novavax. We're waiting for results with basic breath. All right. And uh, the th thing that you want to do is subscribe to this uh, podcast so that you know that information when it becomes available. I see that LG has, an unve has unveiled a portable air purifier mask um, which is battery powered, helps you breathe. Can we just talk about masks yeah. for a moment? Because yeah, we get a lot I of like questions. It's like one of those gimmicks, you know, one of those cars that you, you power up uh, like I'm a Tesla. You, 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 yes, of course you're going to buy one. Of course, you, you're going to, of course you're going to put it about next to your AirPods and your MacBook Pro and all the other things. Of course you are. It's just a problem that is not a MacBook mask. Yeah. Right? No, no, I'm okay with LG, do, but uh, do, do you think these things are cool? I mean, are, 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 are useful? Freudian slip. It's not about being cool. It's about being... <laughs> Look, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen the articles about it. It looks very good. You can change all the components of the mask. You can change the filters. You can change the rubber bands. They, they last for about eight hours on a, low, on a low battery. And if you're using it at a higher frequency, they last for about two hours. It does uh, take out a lot of issues. But let's see. I mean, I'd like to try one and see how it fits and see how tight it is and that type of thing before we can make a, an honest sort of uh, assumption of what we're dealing with. Right. And uh, just talk about the different types of masks again, because, again, lots of controversy around, or not even controversy, but a lot of people wearing the masks with the valves. What about buffs? What about uh, disposable versus cloth uh, masks? Your preference. Yeah. Government uh, requires everyone wear a, a cloth mask, okay? Um, buffs are for when you are running. And just notably, uh, I must say, thank God we've beaten the virus because the amount of people on the road this morning not wearing buffs or masks tells me that we have to have beaten this. It's unbelievable. You know, we are hashtag blessed, you know? But um, yeah. the best thing to do is wear a cloth mask, otherwise a surgical mask. And if you're a healthcare professional, then an N95 mask. 
the master of the valves are absolutely disastrous because yes, they protect you, but they do not protect anybody else. So you're breathing out, your air is expelled through that valve and you're making other people exposed. So stay away from those. Please throw them away. If you have a mask with a valve, throw it away. 100%. Is it as simple as that? You're not protecting other people. Right, and I, and I think that uh, that is very, very important. Is there good news? There's good news. We've discussed this a few times, vitamin D in the new retrospective studies. Um, people with vitamin D deficiency tend to have a higher risk of contracting COVID-19. We know that vitamin D strengthens your innate immunity. That's your non-specific defense mechanism that occurs within hours of your antigen or your virus um, being exposed to your body. And they say with a high level of vitamin D, you prevent transmission and it affects your zinc metabolism, which also decreases the replication of your COVID-19. Now, the overall sentiment we've got here is that, is that people are in good moods. People are happy. People are getting to live normal lives. Some are going to gym. Others are going and starting to see family. Life is definitely on the upward trend. It's better than it was two months ago. There's no doubt about it. And, and, and to quote, work for something because it is good not just because it stands a chance to succeed. And what do we mean by that? It's in our hands. We have the power to prevent a second surge or wave. We have that power of preventing it so that it's minor when it does come. But we have to be united as a community, as a people, together to do it. We have to wear our masks. We have to social distance. We have to avoid crowds. And we just have to look after each other. Absolutely, and uh, I think that is the answer to it all. Just be, just be, uh, be, be careful. Care, in other words, care for, uh, for other people. It is so, uh, so important. And uh, that's where we leave it. Dr. Anton Marburg, thank you as always. This is the Synthesis Sunday podcast. Every week at this time, we address your COVID-19 questions, leaving you with love, with peace, with brotherhood and friendship. I'm Howard Feldman. Have a great week. <music>